Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. We're back to the first regular episode since mid-April, and today I've got a great legend for you from the ancient Norse and Germanic traditions. This is the story of Sigurd. While the version I'm reading is one of those stories that has a lot going on, the main thing that I think Sigurd is known for is the slaying of Fafnir the dragon. He's found in the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, as well as other prominent sources from the 10th to 12th centuries, but we'll talk more about him after the story. And now, as published in 1890 in Andrew Lang's Red Fairy Book, The Story of Sigurd. This is a very old story. The Danes who used to fight with the English in King Alfred's time knew this story. They have carved on the rocks pictures of some of the things that happen in the tale, and those carvings may still be seen. Because it is so old and so beautiful, the story is told here again, but it has a sad ending. Indeed, it is all sad, and all about fighting and killing as might be expected from the Danes. Once upon a time there was a king in the north who had won many wars, but now he was old. Yet he took a new wife, and then another prince who wanted to have married her came up against him with a great army. The old king went out and fought bravely, but at last his sword broke, and he was wounded, and his men fled. But in the night... When the battle was over, his young wife came out and searched for him among the slain, and at last she found him, and asked whether he might be healed. But he said, No, his luck was gone, his sword was broken, and he must die. And he told her that she would have a son, and that son would be a great warrior, and would avenge him on the other king, his enemy." and he bade her keep the broken pieces of the sword, and make a new sword for her son, and that blade should be called Gram. Then he died, and his wife called her maid to her, and said, Let us change clothes, and you shall be called by my name, and I by yours, lest the enemy finds us. So this was done, and they hid in a wood, but there some strangers met them, and carried them off in a ship to Denmark. And when they were brought before the king, he thought the maid looked like a queen, and the queen like a maid. So he asked the queen, How do you know in the dark of night whether the hours are wearing to the morning? And she said, I know because when I was younger I used to have to rise and light the fires, and still I waken at the same time. A strange queen to light the fires, thought the king. Then he asked the queen, who was dressed like a maid, How do you know in the dark of night whether the hours are wearing near the dawn? My father gave me a gold ring, said she, and always, ere the dawning, it grows cold on my finger. A rich house where maids wore gold, said the king. Truly you are no maid, but a king's daughter. So he treated her royally, and as time went on she had a son called Sigurd, a beautiful boy and very strong. He had a tutor to be with him, and once the tutor bade him go to the king and ask for a horse. "'Choose a horse for yourself,' said the king, and Sigurd went to the wood, and there he met an old man with a white beard, and said, "'Come, help me in horse-choosing.' 
Then the old man said, Drive all the horses into the river and choose the one that swims across. So Sigurd drove them, and only one swam across. Sigurd chose him. His name was Grani, and he came of Sleipnir's breed, and was the best horse in the world. For Sleipnir was the horse of Odin, the god of the north, and was as swift as the wind. But a day or two later his tutor said to Sigurd, There is a great treasure of gold hidden not far from here, and it would become you to win it. But Sigurd answered, I have heard stories of that treasure, and I know that the dragon Fafnir guards it, and he is so huge and wicked that no man dares go near him. He is no bigger than other dragons, said the tutor, and if you were as brave as your father, you would not fear him. I am no coward, says Sigurd. Why do you want me to fight with this dragon? Then his tutor, whose name was Regin, told him that all this great hoard of red gold had once belonged to his own father, and his father had three sons. The first was Fafnir, the dragon. The second was Otter, who could put on the shape of an otter when he liked. And the next was himself, Regin, and he was a great smith and maker of swords. Now there was at that time a dwarf called Andvari, who lived in a pool beneath the waterfall, and there he had hidden a great hoard of gold. And one day Otter had been fishing there, and had killed a salmon and eaten it, and was sleeping, like an otter, on a stone. Then someone came by and threw a stone at the otter and killed it, and flayed off the skin and took it to the house of Otter's father. Then he knew his son was dead, and to punish the person who had killed him, he said he must have the otter's skin filled with gold, and covered all over with red gold, or it should go worse with him. Then the person who had killed Otter went down and caught the dwarf who owned all the treasure, and took it from him. Only one ring was left, which the dwarf wore, and even that was taken from him. Then the poor dwarf was very angry, and he prayed that the gold might never bring any but bad luck to all the men who might own it forever. Then the otter skin was filled with gold and covered with gold, all but one hair, and that was covered with the poor dwarf's last ring. But it brought good luck to nobody. First Fafnir, the dragon, killed his own father, and then he went and wallowed on the gold, and would let his brother have none, and no man dared go near it. When Sigurd heard the story, he said to Regin, Make me a good sword, that I may kill this dragon. So Regin made a sword, and Sigurd tried it with a blow on a lump of iron, and the sword broke. Another sword he made, and Sigurd broke that too. Then Sigurd went to his mother, and asked for the broken pieces of his father's blade, and gave them to Regin, and he hammered and wrought them into a new sword, so sharp that fire seemed to burn along its edges. Sigurd tried this blade on the lump of iron, and it did not break, but split the iron in two. Then he threw a lock of wool into the river, and when it floated down against the sword it was cut into two pieces. So Sigurd said that the sword would do, but before he went against the dragon he led an army to fight the men who had killed his father, and he slew their king, and took all of his wealth, and went home. When he had been home a few days, he rode out with Regin one morning to the heath where the dragon used to lie. Then he saw the track which the dragon made when he went to a cliff to drink, and the track was as if a great river had rolled along and left a deep valley. Then Sigurd went down into that deep place and dug many pits in it, 
and in one of the pits he lay hidden with his sword drawn. There he waited, and presently the earth began to shake with the weight of the dragon as he crawled to the water. And a cloud of venom flew before him as he snorted and roared, so that it would have been death to stand before him. But Sigurd waited till half of him had crawled over the pit, and then he thrust the sword Graham right into his very heart. Then the dragon lashed with his tail till stones broke and trees crashed about him. Then he spoke as he died and said, Whoever thou art that hast slain me, this gold shall be thy ruin, and the ruin of all who own it. Sigurd said, I would touch none of it if by losing it I should never die. But all men die, and no brave man lets death frighten him from his desire. Die thou, Fafnir, and then Fafnir died. And after that Sigurd was called Fafnir's bane, and dragon-slayer. Then Sigurd rode back and met Regan, and Regan asked him to roast Fafnir's heart and let him taste of it. So Sigurd put the heart of Fafnir on a stake and roasted it, but it chanced that he touched it with his finger, and it burned him. Then he put his finger in his mouth, and so tasted the heart of Fafnir. Then immediately he understood the language of birds, and he heard a woodpecker say, This is Sigurd roasting Fafnir's heart for another, when he should taste of it himself and learn all wisdom. The next bird said, There lies Regan, ready to betray Sigurd, who trusts him. The third bird said, let him cut off Regan's head and keep all the gold to himself. The fourth bird said, That let him do, and then ride over Hindfell to the place where Brynhild sleeps. When Sigurd heard all this and how Regan was plotting to betray him, he cut off Regan's head with one blow of the sword Gram. Then all the birds broke out singing, We know a fair maid, a fair maid sleeping. Sigurd be not afraid, Sigurd, win thou the maid, fortune is keeping. High over Hindfell, red fire is flaming, There doth the maiden dwell, She that should love thee well, Meet for thy taming. There must she sleep till thou Comest for her waking, Rise up and ride for now, Sure she will swear the vow, Fearless of breaking. Then Sigurd remembered how the story went, that somewhere, far away, there was a beautiful lady enchanted. She was under a spell, so that she must always sleep in a castle, surrounded by flaming fire. There she must sleep forever, till there came a knight, who would ride through the fire and waken her. There he determined to go, but first he rode right down the horrible trail of Fafnir, and Fafnir had lived in a cave with iron doors, a cave dug deep down in the earth, and full of gold bracelets and crowns and rings, and there, too, Sigurd found the helm of dread, a golden helmet, and whoever wears it is invisible. All these he piled on the back of the good horse Grani, then he rode south to Hindfell. Now it was night, and on the crest of the hill Sigurd saw a red fire blazing up into the sky, and within the flame a castle, and a banner on the topmost tower. Then he set the horse Grani at the fire, and he leaped through it lightly, as if it had been through the heather. So Sigurd went within the castle door, and there he saw someone sleeping, clad all in armor. Then he took the helmet off the head of the sleeper, and behold, she was a most beautiful lady. 
And she wakened and said, Ah, it is Sigurd, Sigmund's son, who has broken the curse and comes here to waken me at last. This curse came upon her when the thorn of the tree of sleep ran into her hand long ago as a punishment, because she had displeased Odin the god. Long ago, too, she had vowed never to marry a man who knew fear, and dared not ride through the fence of flaming fire. For she was a warrior maid herself, and went armed into the battle like a man. But now she and Sigurd loved each other, and promised to be true to each other, and he gave her a ring, and it was the last ring taken from the dwarf Anvari. Then Sigurd rode away, and he came to the house of a king who had a fair daughter. Her name was Gudrun, and her mother was a witch. Now Gudrun fell in love with Sigurd, but he was always talking of Brynhild. How beautiful she was, and how dear! So one day Gudrun's witch mother put poppy and forgetful drugs in a magical cup, and bade Sigurd drink to her health. And he drank, and instantly he forgot poor Brynhild, and he loved Gudrun, and they were married with great rejoicings. Now the witch, the mother of Gudrun, wanted her son Gunnar to marry Brynhild, and she bade him ride out with Sigurd and go and woo her. So forth they rode to her father's house, for Brynhild had quite gone out of Sigurd's mind by reason of the witch's wine, but she remembered him and loved him still. Then Brynhild's father told Gunnar that she would marry none but him who could ride the flame in front of her enchanted tower, and thither they rode, and Gunnar set his horse at the flame, but he would not face it. Then Gunnar tried Sigurd's horse, Grani, but he would not move with Gunnar on his back. Then Gunnar remembered witchcraft that his mother had taught him, and by his magic he made Sigurd look exactly like himself, and he looked exactly like Gunnar. Then Sigurd, in the shape of Gunnar and in his mail, mounted on Grani, and Grani leapt the fence of fire, and Sigurd went in and found Brynhild, but he did not remember her yet because of the forgetful medicine in the cup of the witch's wine. Now Brynhild had no help but to promise she would be his wife, the wife of Gunnar, as she supposed, for Sigurd wore Gunnar's shape, and she had sworn to wed whoever should ride the flames. And he gave her a ring, and she gave him back the ring he had given her before, in his own shape as Sigurd, and it was the last ring of that poor dwarf Andvari. Then he rode out again, and he and Gunnar changed shapes, and each was himself again. And they went home to the witch-queens, and Sigurd gave the dwarf's ring to his wife, Gudrun. And Brynhild went to her father, and said that a king had come called Gunnar, and had ridden the fire, and she must marry him. Yet I thought, she said, that no man could have done this deed but Sigurd, Fafnir's bane, who was my true love. But he has forgotten me, and my promise I must keep. So Gunnar and Brynhild were married, though it was not Gunnar but Sigurd in Gunnar's shape that had ridden the fire. And when the wedding was over and all the feast, then the magic of the witch's wine went out of Sigurd's brain, and he remembered all. He remembered how he had freed Brynhild from the spell, and how she was his own true love, and how he had forgotten and had married another woman, and won Brynhild to be the wife of another man. But he was brave, and he spoke not a word of it to the others to make them unhappy. Still he could not keep away the curse which was to come on everyone who owned the treasure of the dwarf Andvari, and his fatal golden ring. And the curse soon came upon all of them, for one day, when Brynhild and Gudrun were bathing, 
Brynhild waded farthest out into the river, and said she did that to show she was Gudrun's superior, for her husband, she said, had ridden through the flame when no other man dared face it. Then Gudrun was very angry, and said that it was Sigurd, not Gunnar, who had ridden the flame, and had received from Brynhild that fatal ring, the ring of the dwarf and Vari. Then Brynhild saw the ring which Sigurd had given to Gudrun, and she knew it and knew all, and she turned as pale as a dead woman and went home. All that evening she never spoke. The next day she told Gunnar, her husband, that he was a coward and a liar, for he had never ridden the flame but had sent Sigurd to do it for him, and pretended that he had done it himself, and she said he would never see her glad in his hall, never drinking wine, never playing chess, never embroidered with the golden thread, never speaking words of kindness. Then she rent all her needlework asunder and wept aloud, so that everyone in the house heard her, for her heart was broken and her pride was broken in the same hour. She had lost her true love Sigurd, the slayer of Fafnir, and she was married to a man who was a liar." Then Sigurd came and tried to comfort her, but she would not listen, and said she wished the sword stood fast in his heart. Not long to wait, he said, till the bitter sword stands fast in my heart, and thou wilt not live long when I am dead. But, dear Brynhild, live and be comforted, and love Gunnar thy husband, and I will give thee all the gold, the treasure of the dragon Fafnir. Brynhild said, It is too late. Then Sigurd was so grieved and his heart so swelled in his breast that it burst the steel rings of his shirt of mail. Sigurd went out, and Brynhild determined to slay him. She mixed serpent's venom and wolf's flesh, and gave them in one dish to her husband's younger brother, and when he had tasted them he was mad, and he went into Sigurd's chamber while he slept and pinned him to the bed with a sword— but Sigurd woke, and caught the sword Graham into his hand, and threw it at the man as he fled, and the sword cut him in twain. Thus died Sigurd, Fafnir's bane, whom no ten men could have slain in a fair fight. Then Gudrun wakened and saw him dead, and she moaned aloud, and Brynhild heard her and laughed, but the kind horse Grani lay down and died of very grief, and then Brynhild fell, a-weeping till her heart broke. So they attired Sigurd in all his golden armor, and built a great pile of wood on his ship, and at night laid on it the dead Sigurd, and the dead Brynhild, and the good horse Grani, and set fire to it, and launched the ship. And the wind bore it blazing out to sea, flaming into the dark. So there were Sigurd and Brynhild burned together, and the curse of the dwarf Andvari was fulfilled. I hardly know where to begin with this one. So many thoughts crossed my mind the first time I read it that I had to start writing them down so I didn't lose any. And I'm reasonably certain there's more than that. Now, as I mentioned before, a lot of Sigurd's legend comes from existing works from the 10th to the 12th centuries. Quite a few episodes ago now, I mentioned the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda of Snorri Sturluson. If you recall, he was a late 10th, early 11th century Icelandic historian and poet, and his works are instrumental in preserving what we know of his culture's folklore and history. But Sigurd also shows up in Der Nibelungenlied, or the Song of the Nibelungs. 
This is an 11th century German epic regarding the royal house of Nibelung. It's not explicitly stated in the story I read to you, but Gunnar is one of the Nibelung. Sigurd also shows up as one of the Volsung clan in the Volsunga saga, from which Andrew Lang based his tale. In the Volsunga saga, we find that Sigurd is descended from Odin. Honestly, there's a whole lot of depth to this story, and the more that I dug into it, the more I kept uncovering. I relied heavily on the interconnected links of Sigurd's Wikipedia page to get me from place to place and to keep it all straight. The short of it is that Sigurd is every bit as much of a legacy in the Norse tradition as someone like Arthur in the British and Saxon one. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they hadn't influenced each other in some ways as well, considering some of their similar qualities. It raises an important question. Who would win in a duel? Sigurd with Graham, or Arthur with Excalibur. So, some thoughts about the story. Unsurprisingly, I kept being reminded of Tolkien's work at every turn on this one, beginning with the broken sword. The breaking of Sigmund's sword and its keeping until Sigurd needs it to be remade really echoes the breaking of Narsil by Isildur and its reforging into Andoril for Aragorn. The name Gram, by the way, means wrath in the Old Norse. We know by his own words that Tolkien drew upon the Norse and Germanic stories in his world, and so it makes sense to see that element show up. But it doesn't stop there. How about Sigurd's horse, Grani? A name meaning grey. A horse descended from the eight-legged Sleipnir, the mount of Odin himself. Sleipnir is described as the best of all horses. Compare that to Shadowfax. Now, in the movies, Gandalf's friend and steed is white, but in the books, he's a silvery gray. He is described as the lord of all horses and descended from Felleroth, the first of a race of horses called the Miras, superior in intelligence, speed, and strength to common horses. A lot of names and lore to throw at you, I know, but there's an incredible similarity there. Now, how about the Ring of the Dwarf and Vari, a piece of cursed treasure that brings death upon everyone who owns it? Sound familiar? In the stories, Anvari used it to find gold, and we encounter the gold, guarded by a huge, greedy dragon deep in a cave. Now, this isn't the only place that Tolkien might have pulled from for the Cursed One Ring and Smaug, but this does conveniently put all the pieces in one place. Let's talk for a minute about another character that is part of the supporting cast in this story, but who also has quite a bit of history on her own. In this tale, Brynhild's origins and prominence aren't really discussed, to the point that it's sort of strange that Sigurd finds her in armor and she tells him she's a warrior maid and that she has displeased Odin. There may be a certain amount of assumption on the part of the writer of the Volsunga saga that we already know Brynhild to some degree, but it seems that in other stories, Brynhild is sometimes a Valkyrie and not merely a warrior which would elevate her to a more supernatural character and not just a damsel in distress. She is present in many of the same sources as Sigurd, and I wouldn't be surprised at all that the Valkyrie-slash-Shieldmaidens, or even Brynhild herself, had inspired Tolkien's Shieldmaiden, Eowyn. 
I also couldn't help but notice the similarity to Sleeping Beauty, and it makes me wonder, if back in the centuries leading up to both tales being recorded, that there isn't a common origin in there. Sleeping Beauty was written down about a century after the existing tales of Brynhild and Sigurd, as far as I know. But in the oral tradition, it's easy to see how storytellers might have used the same bones for the stories, each adding their own cultural experiences to them. And one final thing as well. There's a mysterious man who shows up in the woods in Valheim. You know, the Viking-themed survival game that I've been playing. And when you get too close, he vanishes. Many speculate that it is Odin himself watching you from a distance. It is also said that the strange man that Sigurd met in the woods was also Odin, and that he was doing his part to make sure that Sigurd chose Grani from among the other horses. It makes me wonder if Valheim might someday add horses. Here's hoping. Now, if you're enjoying Fido, then you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss an episode. You can also go to FidoPodcast.com and listen on any device. Make sure and share Fido with your friends and family if you like what you're hearing. Word of mouth is my best advertisement. Don't forget to leave me a comment or a question, and I might even be able to read them on the air. I love hearing from my listeners. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Fado Podcast. And if you would like to support the show more directly, you can become a patron. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There is behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and if you join, you'll get a personal handwritten thank you from me in the mail, as well as a Fado sticker. Also, you'll get a mention here on the show. Speaking of which, I'd like to say welcome to my newest patron, Abby Brinker, one of the hosts of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. Thanks for the support, Abby. You have my eternal and undying gratitude. That brings us to the end of Season 2, Episode 22. Watch for the next episode of Fido coming soon. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time. Fido is a member of the Pizza Rice Podcasting Collaborative. Check us out at pizzaricepodcast.com.